Welcome to Liminal Theology, a podcast exploring boundaries, transitions, and being in between. I'm your host, Jonathan Best, and join me as we journey into liminal space. I'm thinking about that last point you made, and many like to criticize young people, Generation Z, for um, the destructiveness of, that some of these protests have taken of the need to destroy, to pull down, you know, topple down ta- statues or destroy or burn down uh, places of power. But you made a really good point that this generation, this upcoming generation is growing tired of the old systems, the ways that we continually generation after generation somehow just become comfortable in, just shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's just the way things are. You know, at a certain point, someone, a generation, a group of people have to take that next step to say, it doesn't have to be this way. That's right. Um, why is, and in, in returning again to the, the hospice motif, why is there a need to keep these systems which are on life support, you know, why, why do we keep them perpetually alive when we know that they're dead? We know that they're dying. We know that they, they need to, they actually need to die. And in a sense, that turns an act of destruction into an act of creation. Nothing comes from nothing. The act of tearing down one thing allows the opportunity, creates the opportunity to build something new, something better. We do that all the time with buildings and um, city structures and roads. And there's this need to recognize that, hey, it doesn't, this doesn't work as well as it could, or it doesn't work as well as, something new. Now, I don't know why we do the same thing with systems and structures. We keep them in place knowing that they don't work. They've stopped working. They're, they are zombified. Perhaps we should be thankful for Generation Z for saying and pointing out that, hey, this stuff doesn't work anymore. And, you know, we're not comfortable with systems that perpetuate racism. We're not comfortable with systems that perpetuate marginalization, um, inequality. And I hope and also worry what side the church will be on. Will Will the church be on the side of those that are willing to change? Or will it be on the side of those who want to keep what is old? I, th- I think you're going to have both, absolutely. And the, regardless if it's church or synagogue, I've, I've seen it both, where both are struggling to find the answer of how to do that. Um, the, the differences, the, the excitement about this conversation between you and I is you're asking the questions. You're, you have opened a space to have a conversation, not knowing on which side of the fence I stand on. But you willingly self-engage 
into this moment. What I'm finding is that the structures that are in place are not willing to ask any questions. They are doing diagnosing of a sort without proper evaluation, without doing any type of research, without looking under the sheet and turning the patient over to say, where did you get that whip from? Why does your back hurt? What have you been carrying for generations and generations to make you feel such anguish that you are acting out in such a way? No one is asking those questions. Mm -hmm. But instead, they're pointing the fingers and saying, that statue meant something. That statue did mean something. If you look at when these statues were built, when they were resurrected, it was what, during the, the times of war, civil war, right? It was also during the times of segregation and integration. Well, there was a whole lot of people who were pissed off during that time, right? So whether they won or lost, right, they still wanted to create structures and monuments to remind folk, hey, I still see myself as empowered and over you, and don't you dare forget who I am. So those monuments do mean something. Different stories, but we need both the stories. We need people to ask questions. And if the church and if the synagogue and whatever institution that is out there, if they're not willing to ask the questions, to assess, to do some deep research, some deep listening, deep description, then we're not going anywhere. We're going to hold those structures in place. Are you hopeful about the future? I'm, and I, I think this, this question, given, given the context of our conversation, something after this that's perhaps beautiful and life-giving, where we move from a nation no longer on hospice, but a nation alive and breathing and active and involved and communal? Or do you see that perhaps we're going to be in this moment for a little while longer? Immediate hopefulness and a kind of long-term hopefulness that you're looking at, or, or is this change from day to day? It's, it's a perfect question that that hurts my heart. As, as optimistic as I am, at any given day, you can meet me in the hallways of my work and you're going to find me and I'm going to greet you with a smile. I'm going to meet you with an embrace. Right now during COVID, I might give you an air high five, but I'm not touching you. Uh, but am I hopeful? I think, I think you hit it on the head when you said it changes from day to day. As, as an employee, as one who works for the church and in the church, I have to remain hopeful. Because I believe that these are the institutions that know how to do the work if they are willing to do the work. And then they are able to better train those who come after us. 
So am I hopeful? Absolutely. I believe that academia and the church can do a beautiful job to create this new future. But at times, earlier today, I was able to walk through my living room and my spouse happened to turn on Netflix and turn on the film Stranger Fruit. Stranger Fruit is a film about the killing, murder, and assassination of Mike Brown, which actually happened less than 15 miles from this current position that I'm in. Mm. I'm located here in St. Louis, Missouri. That located, uh, that happened in Ferguson. Everyone has heard about it. Mm -hmm. And as I watched a piece of the film, I was saddened. I was hurt. And when I see facts revealed and covered up, and I see the statistics and the numbers of killings and murders, when I see um, my own nephew who says, Auntie, I just want to ride around tonight. I enjoy the, the night air. And my response is, nephew, that might not be a good idea because you're not safe. It makes it makes me realize the lack of hope that I have in the nation, in people. But innately who I am, I believe that people are good, right? Mm -hmm. So I go back and forth as in, where is the hope? Who creates the hope? Who is the broker of this hope? Why is it that sometimes I have it and sometimes I don't? But then, then I, I realize that if I'm hurt, then there are other people who are hurt, regardless of race, regardless of the amount of privilege that they have, but they're hurt. Hurt people can do one of two things. Hurt people will hurt other people in various ways. Hmm. Or hurt people can begin to heal. And it's in that healing that I believe that we will be able to get to that point of celebration that you spoke of, where we can get to that place of new creation. But right now, we're on the fence of what do we do with this hurt? When, when that diagnosis is given that you're on hospice, it's, it's a dagger in the heart. It's soul-wrenching. Everything after that diagnosis is different. So yes, we are in a turning point. Yes, everything is different. But what are we going to do with the hurt? Do we act out of our hurt? Or do we begin to try and heal those who are hurt? I love that. I love that imagery about healing, healing and hurting. There's so much hurting going on. And I think it's often very easy to perpetuate hurt, especially when you hurt. I think it's very easy to see the hurt in one another. It's not hard to recognize. Sometimes it is. Sometimes we put blinders on and I guess we can't see that the hurt of others going through. But turn on the news, look at the images of each day, Watch the, the videos of 
black men and women being killed by police, watch videos of people shouting racist comments and it's really hard to you come away from that yourself hurt and i think the the, the response to that hurt is so important i can look at those things and and be hurt and i think there's two there's several responses to that one is is to live in that hurt or to search for ways to heal and to heal others. I think if you can recognize and see that others are hurting and look for ways to heal, how do we become healers today? How do we move past the hurt? How do we heal one another, recognizing that each one of us needs the other person? I don't know anyone that can go about this alone, you know. How do we move to healing? You know, healing, healing is gonna look different for different people. And I I almost want to say that this healing is going to, it has to be done on an individual level which would affect communities, of course. But individually, I think is how I want to heal people. Particularly if you, if you think of the person who is having knee pain or has had uh, tummy cramps for a little bit, they usually go to the physician and explain their ailment. And together in consultation with the physician, they begin to work on that healing. And I think that that's a lot of how we will have to move as we continue to move forward uh, in hope is finding those places that we can take our ailments. Because when you say that we, we can see each other's hurt, we can't. But not everyone is responsive to that ailment. It, it, does, it does mean no good to discuss the pains of the world or my pains as an individual, and no one does anything. It's back mm-hmm. to the prayers and thoughts. But if we come together as individuals, as com- in a community, if we begin to link up with the people who have been doing this work, because this is not new work. This is, this is not new. This nation has been fighting for freedom since the, its inception. And so now if we can actually begin to have these conversations and say this is where it hurts, then maybe we can begin to work on that particular pain. It's nothing worse than me saying I'm experiencing microaggressions that feel macro and you buy me a new car. That that doesn't hurt my, it doesn't fix my ailment, right? It might appease me, I'm excited for the new car, but I'm still hurting and that hurt usually only gets worse. So I think we have to be able to touch and heal the individual pain. Someone who 
works with students and now dean of students. Yay. <laughs> you, you encounter on a daily basis, I'm sure, um, many up-and-coming ministers and workers and those who are going to be the future leaders within the church and in other contexts. When you encounter those students, I guess there's two questions here. When you encounter those students, do you find that they are hopeful? And also, do you find a lot of healers within those students? Do you see a, a next generation of church leaders and thinkers and theologians who are hopeful healers? Awesome question. Thank you so much. Uh, when I'm when I reflect on the students that I've encountered, I have met some absolutely amazing uh, students. Um, whether it's because of their history, whether it's because of their life experiences, um, their willingness to integrate their culture into the world and into their worship experiences. Um, and are they hopeful? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the beautiful part about the students that come, um, I almost want to um, equate them to the four and five-year-olds in our homes that are sponges. They are just soaking in all the information because they have these ideas of where they want to go, and they're trying to get all the knowledge that they can so that they can go and reproduce it. So therefore, there's hope. My fear is that hope can be diminished or it can begin to hurt the new church depending upon what it is that they're being taught. So if, if the teachers of the students are hurt or are succumbed and siloed in such a way where they might be unwilling to listen or to see or they just... They just haven't had the need. And, and sometimes we find ourselves that way. If we are more of the privileged class, there's not a need to go out to find out what the new hurts and experiences are. If I believe that I'm safe and I've learned everything that I can, then how can I possibly be hurting someone? Well, my fear is if that hurt is transposed or that bad structure, that bad understanding is... Uh, perpetuated. Now we have a new student who is full of hope, who is able to make changes, now no longer able to make that change because they're perpetuating what it is that they've learned from the scholar that knows best. So, is there hope? Absolutely. Teaching is so important. Um, you know, Students, as you said, come in immensely hopeful, ready, eager. It doesn't take much sometimes to stifle that hope, to, you know, muzzle it, to constrain it, constrain the imagination. And that makes what the teacher does in the classroom, both within a religious context and, and outside the, in, in a secular context, um, 
we really need uh, a generation of students who are hopeful, imaginative, and willing to ask questions. Um, And I know I can, I can see how important that is to you. Um, And I think that that is something that's needed within the church. Um, Church proclaims to be a symbol of hope. You know, we proclaim hope, but often I find quash a lot of hope sometimes with telling someone they can't ask this question or that question or, you know, you know, you have to think in this way and not that way. Um, you should do it this way, not that way. You know, it's. Yep. Yep. You probably recall that happening in a class or two of mine, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, but that's the beauty in it though, you know, is that we're learning, you know, and so I don't discredit or discount anything that I learned in those classrooms. But I do take that to understand that it's something that happens in classrooms that we have to really be able to navigate and learn from. Um, and, um, and to help people to almost relearn. When you were talking, the word re-hope came to me. It's, uh, it's a hope that was taught to them, and now they're giving that same hope. But I'm believing that that there's a new hope that's available to everyone today, right? Uh, And so how is it that we give and allow people to live in that new hope? Mm. To be creators, to use their imagination, um, and and not just imagine something new that's already existing, but literally something that's brand new that is outside the box and beyond the galaxy in order for them to seriously create something new. Speaking of something new, I know that you're working on a brand new podcast with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Marley Lang. And I think you're calling it This Moment Friends, correct? That's right. Um, recently had your first episode. Perhaps uh, share a little bit about what that's about and uh, what you're going to be doing in that podcast. Man, thanks so much. Marlene, Dr. Marlene Lang is uh, an awesome friend. Um, we began these conversations while we were at St. Thomas years ago. Of, uh, how beneficial would it be for the world to see that we are truly friends? Marlene is um, a, a woman of white skin uh, with Native American heritage and background. Uh, I myself is uh, colored black. Uh, and we have had the best times together in life. Um, we've been there for one another. We have listened to the hurts of one another. And we have created spaces for one another. And so our lived experiences is something that uh, we can model for the word. It's almost a modeling and living of a pedagogy of how to heal one another in essence. And so that's really what we wanted to do is get together and just allow people to see two authentic friends who are together doing the word. And she's able to question me and say, that doesn't sound right. What is that? 
and I can, you know, uh, speak quite frankly with her and say, you know, that's that's an issue for the black community or for myself within the black community. Um, and so with that, uh, we are moving forward and we are enjoying our time together. I'm so excited about that project. Um, and I think we need more more things like that of conversation and an engagement and exploring one another's differences, exploring one another's backgrounds. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm super excited about that podcast and, and I want to know, you know, I was wondering um, what other areas are you working on currently or what's next for you? I, I know you just got the big promotion, so I, I know that you're going to be busy with that, but right. Anything else that, you know, on the wish list of things you, you hope to tackle next? Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking at this sense of community. Um, I've also been appointed visiting professor of practical theology and really looking to see how does practical theology speak to building and creating uh, a healed community. Um, so I'm really looking at that, um, some pedagogy work. And what I'm most excited of, uh, and, and I'm going to jump ahead and answer your next question. Uh, I don't know if you're going to ask it or not, but you're likely going to ask me, what am I reading? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to state one book. Um, it came in the mail uh, two days ago. And this is The Parable of the Sower. Octavia Butler. Now, this is the uh, initial book. I, I'm believing that practical theology has some sort of connection to Afrofuturism. Mm. And so Afrofuturism is a combination of sci-fi uh, and, uh, and theology. Uh, you may recall the movie The Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right? which is a sci-fi movie, so that, that's uh, and others know Star Trek and all the others out there, and the comics. Uh, but what I'm realizing is that in those comics, you have black lightning, you have different uh, motifs, different people who are always on the side of good. And so I want to take a, a deeper look in that. Now, what I'm so impressed with, with sci-fi and the combining of theology, is that it allows theology to break out of the box of this is how religion is done. But it really allows one to go beyond the stars and the galaxies. And it's particularly for those, and uh, they might disagree with me, but I find this to be true. It's particularly for those of us who find ourselves outside of the box, outside of tradition, those of us who are more of a, of a misfit, as you would call it. And it allows us to be able to imagine truly what life is and what it can be. Um, and in that, that's where I'm finding the hope. You know, um, in Afrofuturism, it's, it's aesthetics, it's uh, bringing in poetry, it's bringing in music, it's bringing in comics uh, to then recreate and help us and really teach us how to imagine 
Octavia Butler does a tremendous job of that. There is some old school music that used to do that. We can look at sunrise and jazz. Um, but my most favorite, and the name is, is leaving me now, but there was a group that every time they would perform, they would have a spaceship that came down on the stage. And it was called the Mothership. And in that Mothership, you know, it was, we're all going to get together and leave on the Mothership. And what it was, it was really teaching the community that we can create something. We can go somewhere. This place, this circumstance that we find ourselves in, it's not right. This, this isn't where we belong. But where we do belong, it can be created. And it's for us to create it. And we're going to leave together and get it done. And in that, I am excited to begin to explore this sci-fi and religion relationship. I, I absolutely love that. As a sci-fi fan, um, particularly I'm a Star Trek fan. So, oh, wow. <laughs> and, you know, so I've always found within sci-fi uh, a lot of hope um, of a future that, that I often, you know, especially in things like Star Trek, which are hopeful and, and have a future where, you know, people get along and work together and uh, move beyond, you know, some, you know, issues such as racism and things like that. And so I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to hear about what you're working on and, and reading. Um, this idea of Afrofuturism sounds fascinating. And as both, you know, both being practical theologians, you know, I really think that that's, that's where the future of theology lies is in, is in, is in things like that, yeah. uh, rather than writing a, another paper in some obscure journal that, you know, a few others might read maybe right. um, really, you know, expanding that conversation to other content comics and sci-fi and film. And, you know, I think that's just so, so very much needed today. I think there's really, I, 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 I firmly believe that, People are craving, I think people are craving theology. I think they're craving religion, religious expressions. I think the way that we've been doing it in the past has become one of those systems that is unfortunately on hospice, is, is on life support, is needs to be reinvented, needs to, we need to do these things differently. And I, I'm, I'm so excited to hear about what you're you know, thinking about and, and reading because uh, I'm on the I'm on the same same way I'm I'm thinking the same way that we we much thinking that as practical theologians we need to be uh, awesome. exploring things through different lenses uh, sci-fi Absolutely. being one of those. Absolutely, it's a great example of uh, really when a person has the power uh, or have been given the permission to create to really just explore and go and be without the limitations of the structures right um, and just like you're saying it's the structures that tend to be in the way don't get me wrong i i i have learned respectability politics very well i have learned all of the pieces of that there's some structure that needs to be in place i am a policy person give me the policy so i know how to answer the questions and do my work effectively but like you say, when it comes to the work of theology, when it comes to satisfying that longing and desire 
that I myself have and so many others who are, are who are on the margins, they uh, I believe that sci-fi has the answer. It, it has a, a means to the end where they can really begin where there is a way of saying go and be ontologically, right? Just be yourself, authentically you, how you find yourself. Just the way God intended. Well, that gives me a great idea for an upcoming episode, an episode on sci-fi and theology. And I think that you might have to might have to get you back here so we can uh you know explore that more thoroughly absolutely i would so, love to uh, sounds great well sonia this has been a very rewarding conversation you know I'm, I'm always surprised at the places that we you know when when we when i get into these conversations i'm always surprised at the places that i end up and i end up with my conversation partner and you know I, you've taken me on such a rich rewarding journey and I appreciate what you're doing, and I appreciate so very much um, taking the time to talk with me and explore these these questions together. Time and in our nation conversation is so very much needed, and I very much appreciate the conversation with you today. Dr. Best, I would love to do this anytime with you. Um, likewise, this has been rewarding, and this is what is going to heal the nation. And I would love to be a part of that with you as I continue to strive to heal at least my part of the nation and that it may become an uh, epidemic and pandemic that we can begin to heal the world and knowing that we together healed it. Uh, I would love that opportunity with you. Excellent. Let's, let's heal this world together. You got it. Thank you so very much, Sonia. Appreciate the conversation. Likewise, thank you. My name is Jonathan Best, and this has been Liminal Theology. Learn more at liminaltheology.org.